Welcome to Calvary Conversations. My name is Mike Dodds, and I'm the advisor for the Master of Divinity degree, as well as the director of CU Press here at Calvary in Kansas City, Missouri. Our guest today is Dr. Gary Gilley. He's pastor for, uh, what, about 33 years I saw, Gary? Uh, 46. 46? Yeah. Wow, I saw old information. Wow. Uh, yeah. But he's pastor at Southern View Chapel in Springfield, Illinois, for 46 years, writer of how many books have you put out? About six. About six. And many articles and many book reviews. He's a conference speaker. He, he's an avid reader. Uh, he reads of ministry as well as world issues related topics. And one of those is what we're going to talk about today. He's written and going to speak on it. Critical race theory, what it is, how it impacts Christian ministry, and how ministry leaders should respond. Now, I know that sounds like a big task for only 26 minutes here in our short blurb, but but we're going to really try to do it. Gary, thanks for participating in this conversation today. Good to be with you, Mike. I remember back when you were pastor in this area? Yeah, you bet. Years ago? We met a long time ago, but that's another conversation going on. Let me lead us in a word of prayer before we start out. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for um, just saving us through faith in Christ. And Lord, we want to honor you today. Uh, conversation about a very important topic. And we want to be gracious. We want to be clear. So bless us as we talk and as the listeners listen to. For your sake, Jesus. Amen. 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 All right, let me start it out. Gary, let's uh, start with uh, some context. In one of your recent articles about the topic, you say the following, critical race theory is a serious challenge to biblical Christianity on many fronts. Well, if it's that important, what is it and where did it come from? Talk from. Okay, well, it's it's a rather complicated thing. As you know, this has been a hot topic for the last year or so. So there's lots of books, lots of articles and so forth on it. And uh, I think uh, just the simplest uh, definition is critical race theory has to do with depression oppressors and, and the oppressed. And it's the idea that there's a certain group of people that are the oppressors. Uh, they are the ones that have the power. And uh, legally, uh, politically, spiritually, all sorts of ways, they have power. And as a result of that, they use that power to oppress uh, those that don't have power. And what, is, what has made this unique, there is critical theory, which deals with some of that. But uh, critical race theory then is basically applying that principle to race so that we have the a certain dominant uh, race that dominates all the other races and puts them down. Uh, now, first of all, I think we should mention as Christians, we we don't believe in race as mm. such. There is the human race. Mm. Uh, we're all made in the image of God. Uh, we're all uh, one of one race. There's not many races. There's different different ethnicities and the different colors and different looks but not not actually different races so it's kind of a misnomer to begin with uh, but uh, in this critical race theory as applied to america uh, we have a dominant group of people who are ex virtually exclusively white males so the white man uh, is the oppressors and it doesn't matter whether the uh, the white man is a uh, rich or poor or powerful or weak, he is a white man, and therefore he is part of the oppressing group. Uh, that group of, of white males who have white privilege, white power, all these white things, uh, they have oppressed 
all other race groups, all other ethnic groups, in particular right now, blacks. Uh, mm -hmm. Asians are getting some attention right now as well, <clears throat> but in particular blacks, so that the blacks have been oppressed and pushed down by, by the whites. And the only way to change that is to give those that are oppressed uh, the, the power to, to come on top, more or less, so that they become, in essence, the oppressors, while other groups like the whites would be oppressed. Mm. Of course, if you just think about that logically for a few moments, that doesn't really solve anything. Mm. If that would actually happen, if, uh, if the groups now that think they're oppressed, or in some cases are oppressed, would become the dominant group, you still got oppressors and, and the oppressed, and you haven't really solved anything. So this is the, the social justice that we're talking about today, mm. and, and it's very different from biblical justice. So uh, this is a social justice that is based upon race, uh, the, uh, this critical theory, uh, that, uh, but not the biblical justice of equality among all people, uh, that we're all made in the image of God. Okay, you're stepping a little further ahead. That uh, back up for a second, because I I hear and think of questions in my mind. Race, ethnicity. You mentioned uh, biblically we're one race. Yes. But, so what's the focus? Is it just a definitional? Uh, they're using a term differently. Uh, why isn't it cri critical ethnicity theory? Why the focus on race? Well, that's a good question. Uh, even in the books, the secular books. Uh, and I'll mention maybe a little later on. Here's a particular book, uh, White Fidelity, by uh, Robin DiAngelo. This is probably the best-known book, most popular book in the secular realm on this subject today. There's lots of books, but she's really caught the wave. And uh, she says in that book as well, there is there is no such thing as different races. She even mm -hmm. agrees with that. Oh. Uh, but that doesn't mean they're going to stop using the terminology. Uh, the terminology gives certain power, I think, to the argument, uh, because if we're uh, we're an oppressed group of people, a race group, uh, then uh, that gives us power to talk about racism, and uh, we have to talk about some definitions here eventually. What what is all that about? Mm -hmm. But uh, I think it it clouds the issues, and that's a, that's a lot of the problem, Mike. What's going on today is we have a lot of fuzzy thinking, a lot of cloudy issues. A lot of definitional changes, even that uh, that people are getting lost in, and we're not having real conversations about how we can fix some of the true problems in our society. There are, without question, I think we have to be clear here. There are there are problems in our world. There's mm -hmm. problems in our society. We are a group of sinful people, and uh, there's always going to be these issues that we can be working on, and we can improve on. Mm -hmm. When you don't have the proper uh, conversations uh, and proper definitions and willingness to listen to all sides, uh, you're not going to get very far, even in a secular realm, mm -hmm. not counting the biblical realm. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it, just for context, is this an issue, is critical race theory an issue around the world? Now, we definitely see history, South Africa, and their, their racial tensions, almost a reverse maybe, but I don't understand that. But you know, is are there Mexican races in Mexico? Are there Asian races in Japan? Uh, you know, on and on. It, yeah, how does this affect the world? Yeah, not so much. This is mostly an American, maybe uh, England, a few places like that problem. Uh, but I think America is where the focus is. 
uh, partly because of our of our history with uh, with the slavery mm-hmm. and the blacks. Um, I'm reading a book right now on, on the restoration uh, or the re- reconstruction restruction of the uh, after the Civil War, and all that issue, uh, the horrible things took place mm-hmm. during that time. And so we've had a history that uh, has caused all sorts of issues. Most other nations don't have quite that melting pot mm-hmm. of, of group, people groups. Uh, you, you don't go, for example, you don't go to China and complain because people are speaking uh, Mandarin. Uh, you don't go to Japan and say, well, you're too, you're too Japanese here. Uh, so you don't have those kind of problems in most other countries mm-hmm. like we have here in America. So it's, it's largely an American problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, leads over a little bit to some other places, but mostly it's us. Okay, so how is it affecting us then? You know, what's the unique uh, context in which we minister? Now, I'm not talking ministry right now. I'm just thinking of describing it a little bit in America. We see it. What does it mean? What's going on? Uh, uh, what are the cultural implications in America for critical race theory? Well, in America, the question is, what is racism? And, uh, and so forth. So you asked me earlier, where did it come from? This theory, well, uh, many believe it goes back to the 1930s and 40s uh, when a group of uh, people came together to, to determine why didn't Marxism, uh, econo- economical market Marxism actually work. And wherever Marxism has gone has not worked. And so the question is, what, what happened there? And so there was a group of people back in those days who got together and basically moved to a cultural Marxism, applying a lot of Marxist theories to the culture rather than economics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in more, more modern times, if you go and look it up at different uh, websites and so forth, uh, we've had this uh, idea, this cultural uh, theory, this cultural Marxism uh, percolating in the academy for years. At the universities and think tanks have been talking about this since uh, at least the 1980s. And the, the context there seems to have been why didn't the civil rights movement make better gains than mm-hmm. it did? And so they began to talk about that, and they came up with, with new problems and new villains and new uh, approaches on how to solve this problem. Mm. But it kind of stayed in the academy and the universities for all those years. And, uh, of course, that's where our, our young people went to college, if we're talking about the late 1980s. Uh, so we've got, what, 40 years here? Right. These mm. young people have gone to universities. They've picked up this theory to some degree. Uh, they've applied it in some ways, and they're kind of ready. But it wasn't until this year, last last year, with all the unrest and various things, that this came kind of out into the streets, mm-hmm. and and people that really don't even know what the theory is, don't understand it at all, uh, or have latched onto it to certain degrees, and it's become a cultural uh, word or term, and uh, and everybody's talking about it now. Mm-hmm. But the actual terminology and the underlying ideology has been there. Uh, for a long, long time, just mainly in the academy rather than on the streets. Yeah, so well, that's where we are now with that. Okay, I, where are they hoping to end up? Now, I'm still just thinking of our culture, America. You write in your articles at one point that they're utopian. Marxism, Marxism was somewhat utopian yeah. in sense, but yet they really don't seem to have a utopian. You know, an end goal, or is there? What, what, what's, where do they hope to go with our culture? Now, this is an interesting thing. Your, utopia is probably the right word. They're, they're looking for this perfect world. It's not going to happen until Christ comes back. So as Christians, we have an inside track on that. Uh, not that we don't do uh, 
all we can to make this world a better place to live. We are citizens of this world, so we should be involved with that. But we know that a utopian, the kingdom of God doesn't come until Christ comes back. Mm. So in the meanwhile, we have sinners doing various things and doing the best we can, and sometimes we do better than others. But the end game is this. Well, here, here's a real difference. Uh, the We're looking for equality, right? It's going to be a level playing field. Marxism was economical. So uh, in theory... Uh, there'd be a level economic playing field. There wouldn't be the rich and the poor. Everybody would be the same. It hasn't ever worked anywhere, never will. Uh, cultural Marxism then, and, and the idea of what we're looking at now, is not the equality of opportunity. Uh, it's the equality of outcome. Mm. It's a very important to get because in America for a long time, uh, we've talked about the equality of of opportunity. It's a land of opportunity, going back to almost our beginning. It wasn't always a land of opportunity to every group, and that's true. Uh, I think there's been great strides made in the 20th century and after the Civil Rights Movement and even further into the 21st century, but um, opportunity has not always been equal. But that's always been the goal, the opportunity, equality of opportunity. That's changed, and now we're talking about equality of outcome so that everybody should be on the same level uh, culturally as well as economically in our in our world. Everybody's on the same playing field. And uh, that is never going to happen in this life either. But that is, as best I can tell, that is the supposed ultimate outcome. But in reality, what we're looking at is, a, is people that consider themselves oppressed, the oppressed groups, want to now become the oppressors and domin dominate those that have had power. And they would then become those that control our educational systems, our political systems, our religious systems. They're now dominating and controlling our world. And that dovetails with cult cancel, cancel culture. So now we're, 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 we're seeing the critical race theory move into our schools, our educations, uh, sometimes our, our even our Christian educational units, mm -hmm. sometimes our our denominations and our our churches. This is all kind of moving into those all these realms, and it's about really it's a battle for power. Who is going to control uh, politics, economics, America, churches, and all? Um, and so it's a it's a power battle. I, I don't think that's particularly new. I think there's always been battles of power uh, throughout all of history. Always will be. But this is the uh, flavor that we're looking at right now, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, you're appropriately, we have to bring ourselves into the conversation because we're in our culture. We try to live in our culture. We're having a conversation now, you and I, and we think of church and ministry. But there are many that would be listening to this conversation that, that are just out in a I hate to use the word a secular job. I mean, there are Christians serving in the world, not in a specific church or a parachurch ministry. So what are the implications for the church broadly for critical race theory? How should we process it, respond to it? Let me read one quote that you had in an article that you entitled A Biblical Response to It. You say, instead, we should be aware that Satan's primary weapon is a proliferation of competing worldviews used as tools to distract from and distort the word of God. If Satan can shake the believer's confidence in scripture, 
He'll put Christians in a position of reacting to trending and competing philosophical systems, which will keep them on the defensive. We don't want it to be on the defensive, but expand a little bit more. Where are we at? Yeah, well, let, me, let me kind of give a little background before we get there. And that, that is a, one of the problems we're facing now, and, and the church has to be able to respond to that, is, uh, is new definitions. Mm. And uh, that's, that's why I've written these papers and so forth. That we, we have to know what we're talking about. So when we're looking at things like critical race theory or social justice or intersectionality or being woke or uh, uh, whiteness, all these kinds of things, we have to know what we're talking about to be able to know how to react biblically. And one of the things we really have to understand is the definition of racism has changed, and uh, very few people have been told that that definition changed. Mm. It's extremely important we get it. Uh, old, old racism was looking down on other people uh, because of uh, we felt superior because of our of our ethnicity. Mm. So a, a white person, for example, might consider a black person inferior. So we're prejudiced. We're, dis we're discriminating against them because of their color, their ethnicity, what the world would call race. That's that's old racism. It's unbiblical. It's wrong. It's sin. And we have to face the, the fact that we deal with that personally and in the church and, and do, all, do all we can to fix that. But the new definition of racism, and this is what I don't think very, very many people have understood, is not that at all. In uh, D'Angelo's book, she says this old uh, race definition of racism would make uh, even her a racist. As a matter of fact, she is the racist because she's uh, of her position, but she said that's not the definition of racism today. Mm -hmm. The definition of racism now is, is a systemic structure, not, a, not an action, not a personal action. It's a, a systemic structure, uh, not an event. Oh, and therefore, only white males, for the most part, mm -hmm. only whites can be racist. And the, this, this, is a, this really upsets people because when they hear that, they, they immediately reject it. And she says in her book, by the old definition, you should reject it. She said, by the old definition, she doesn't know many people that are truly racist. But by the new definition, the simple fact that you are white mm -hmm. means you're a racist because you have a systemic system that is, is empowered by government to, uh, to oppress all other people. Mm -hmm. So racism now is whiteness. Now, if you go with that definition, and this is the definition being used, then uh, it's very difficult to know how to respond to that in any logical way. In addition to that, she believes, and all, all those that follow critical race theory, believe that those that are in the, uh, the oppressing group uh, who have this power, these, these people, because they are oppressors, uh, will continue this system. And, uh, and, but in their view, because of the view of intersectionality, uh, these, um, these oppressed, marginalized groups now have a bigger voice, a more prominent voice than the oppressors, the whites. So therefore, if you are a black woman, a black a woman, you have a you have more authority, more moral authority than a white man. If you're a, if you're a black woman, you have more than that. If you're a black lesbian, you have more power and more authority than than the others. Each mm -hmm. each group that you are more oppressed in. Uh, that you intersect with has more and more authority. That means that the the words and the uh, 
the truth claims of these oppressed groups carry more weight than the white males and or the church or anybody else uh, by the virtue of the fact of who they are. And so that and and that doesn't it doesn't matter then. And this is very disturbing to people, and they got to get the got to understand this. It doesn't matter what's true. Truth has been canceled. Uh, it doesn't matter what the facts are. It doesn't matter what the statistics are. Well, all that matters is that a, 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 a oppressed group has spoken, and they're basing their authority not on facts and truth and and statistics. They're basing their authority, certainly not on the Bible. They're basing their authority on experience. Hmm. So you hear it all the time. This is my story. This is my experience. This is what happened to me. Therefore, it is true uh, of, of everybody in my in my class, my group, my tribe. Hmm. And so we have to understand those things for us as a church to be able to respond to that. So how, how do we respond, though? I mean, I, what's the end uh, what corrects it all in their thinking? And then how, how do we relate? Do we just sort of operate alongside what's going on in culture, just do our church thing? Uh, how, how do we engage with this injustice or whatever it is that they're saying is going on? Yeah, and I think for, we start with understanding what biblical justice is. Mm. And we go back to the justice that's founded in God himself and in his word. So we want to know what real justice is, not what this cultural justice is. That social justice is all about. So we start there. So we're starting with scripture. And so our, our real issue as a church, as, as, as uh, God's people, is what is our authority? Where does our authority lie? And this is why I write in the, in the papers, I don't think we're going to get to here much today, <laughs> is that we have to go back to what scripture actually says our mission is and our message is and not be sideswiped and detoured by a trending theory right now that has kind of got a lot of traction. Uh, I think these theories will come and go. Something worse may come as far as that goes, but these these trends that come through uh, should not control the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Bottom line, we have to go back to what Scripture actually says and engage in Scripture so that we, we are a... Uh, we're not... I think if we look at it in a, just a nutshell, we're not called in Scripture to, to challenge or change culture. We're called to, pull, to call people out of this crooked and perverse generation into the kingdom of God, into, into the things of the Lord, to, to Christianity. Mm. So if that is our mission, then, um, then we are to, to stay steadfast on the truth and the authority of Scripture and proclaim that to a to a world that has rejected Christ. Mm. In some ways, this darkness that has enveloped us in this cultural war gives us a platform we may not have had in the recent past. Yeah. You, know, you and I, Mike, we grew up in, a, in an era where, you know, Christianized people were everywhere. Mm. Moral standards were pretty common everywhere, even if most people weren't Christians. That's not true now. It's become more and more a world that has rejected the claims of Christ and is getting worse pretty quickly. Yeah. That gives us a platform to proclaim in ways that we have perhaps not had in the past. So I'm not deeply disturbed myself. I'm bothered by some of the privileges we might be losing in America. Mm -hmm. We all are. But at the same time, if the bigger picture is God 
calling people to himself. And the church has that opportunity to do that. If we don't get sidetracked into the cultural wars and we stay steadfast on the biblical teachings and proclaiming the gospel, I think we have some great opportunities in front of us. Oh, great. Oh, Gary, I hate to cut us off, but we're out of our time limit here. Um, which, which uh, if you're in the Kansas City area, and I'm speaking now to the listener, before uh, April 11th and 12th, Gary's going to be talking on this topic and encouraging from God's Word at Sherwood Bible Church in North Kansas City. So if you're listening to this before April 11th and then Monday, he's going to make some more presentations there at Sherwood on the 12th, the morning of the 12th. If you happen to be listening to this after the 12th, well, perhaps you can go to Sherwood Bible Church's website and they'll have those things recorded. But Gary, what are some good resources? What should we be reading real quickly? Uh, where should we find more information? Well, if, you know, you go, I have four articles uh, on our website, uh, T-O-T-T, let's think on these things, T-O-T-T ministries.org. Okay. And you can pick up uh, all sorts of book reviews. I've done 27, 28 book reviews related one way or the other to this topic. Also, those four articles, and I'm writing another one on, on social justice and hermeneutics, because hermeneutics is changing as well in this, yeah. in this realm. So that's one thought. Uh, as far as the church is concerned, White Fidelity is a book that you might want to read just to get the understanding. The Woke Church by Eric Mason oh. is uh, how this uh, e e critical race theory has moved into the church uh, in a large way. I'm very concerned about uh, Eric Mason's book. This is very bothersome, but I'll tell you what uh, what's going on there. Some really good books, though, by What Standard, uh, put out by, um, by edited, edited by... Uh, uh, Jared Longshore, very good book. Social Justice Goes to Church by uh, Josh Harris. And then Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice by Scott Allen. Huh. These are all good books. And then there's a brand new one coming out by uh, Bodie Balcom. And I wrote it down somewhere. I can't remember where I wrote it down. It's not out yet. Uh, but uh, brand new by Bodie. And this is going to be a very good book on this subject. You can you can go on Amazon and find that. But yeah, these are some sources that, that will be very helpful. And you've listed a book from a wide spectrum of perspectives on this yeah. issue. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, Gary, thank you very much for sharing in this conversation today. The Lord bless you as you present here in, in uh, April as well as in the future. And for you that are listening, who listen today, thank you for investing your time here for Calvary Conversations. Calvary Conversations is a ministry of Calvary University in Kansas City, Missouri. You can find more information on our website at calvary.edu or call us at 816-322-0110. Have a good day.